Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Maltered Brand Scrumpy. What could be better than homebrewed alcohol made from withered, dried-up, discarded apples? Perfect for impromptu dart matches at your local local, yet strong enough to power your 1928 antique Daimler. Warning may cause bravado, posturing, and sheep theft. Mr. Brandon, are you free? Uh, I'm free! I'm Brandon! And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Yay! Oh, look who's back! Gladys! Gladys is back! She's saying she went to Club Med. Hold on. And she got a whole... In Benidorm. In Benidorm. She got a whole new layer of chrome, and she looks fantastic. (laughs) Welcome back, Gladys. Well, we're glad you could join us for the very end, Gladys. How are you doing, Mr. Brandon? I'm, I'm good. Is it the very end? That's what the, the unanimous are, are chomping at the bit. They're pulling their hair out, those who have hair. And um, they're very worried that this is the last episode. Is it the last episode, Mr. Jeff? Well, it's the last episode of the TV show. You are going to hear from us at least one more time. So we'll, let's go into this with the knowledge that we're not saying goodbye just quite yet. No, and we're not going to sing I Did It My Way um, just yet. We had, so we've, I posted a thing saying, hey, folks, send, uh, send us your voicemail, the Peacock Hotline, 662-PEACOCK, blah, blah, blah. And uh, a lot of people are like, oh, no, it's your last one, please. Uh, our super fan, Heidi, our original uh, guest host, I think, wasn't she? Wasn't I think Heidi? she was our first, yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. Hello, Miss Heidi. Uh, and the folks at Bellissimo Coffee Works. Um, she said, can you please sing I Did It My Way? And... Gosh, I don't know if we can afford the rights to that song. You know, the Frank Sinatra folks. First of all, first of all, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Much less never mind the fact that I can't carry a tune in a bucket. And Mr. Brandon is battling a little bit of seasonal allergies or a yeah, cold or something You know, I right went to now, that, so. that uh, Swiss yodeling competition as one does, <laughs> and I just forgot to wipe the end. And it can happen. It can happen. It, can, it happens to anybody. Yes. Well, so. I, think we have to st- I think I have to start off the podcast by saying, bless me, Brandon, for I have sinned. It has been two weeks since my last podcast. It's mea true. culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. In the last episode, I, I made... I went to school with her sister. How's she doing? <laughs> maxima culpa? That's a good drag. Yeah. 
right? Oh, you know what I thought of, I thought of recently, which I think is also another great drag name, and I haven't looked to see if anyone has it. Okay. But Lauren Order. Uh, I know a drag queen in um, Queens called Lauren Order. I'm uh, so sorry. Hello, Lauren right. Order. But good, I thought good I'd come with that. Good anyway. Try. Um, in the last episode... That's what gay men I do mis- when we get together. We all say, like, hey, do you think of this... Uh, what about this drag queen? And then the other, uh, the other um, gay man's like, oh, I know someone named that. Sorry. <laughs> gay culture. What about... Um, do you know any drag kings named Jason Waterfalls? Oh, that's pretty good. That's a good one, right? Chasing Waterfalls? I've, okay. I've had that one in my back pocket. Anyway, in the last <laughs> podcast, I don't know what led me to say this. But we were talking about Dormy Vernon, and I mistakenly said that she played um, the nurse. Oh, and that's no. that's not right. How we all dare know you? Vivian jo- we all know the nurse was played by Vivian Johnson with that beautiful, raspy, smoky voice. And Dormy Vernon played the canteen manageress. So thank you to superfan Jeff White for pointing that out. And I'm sorry to have let you down. Oh, unanimous for oh, miscasting it's one of so, our secondary I know. characters. It, you know, they keep us sharp. They keep us very sharp, let me tell you. No, we appreciate it. Thank you, um, Superfan Jeff. So we also um, had a lovely conversation, Mr. Jeff and I. This was not a podcast. This is just some, you know, we do have lives other than when we shout into our, our microphones. Did you know that, Unanimous? Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we, we, uh, we did was we, st- we spoke to a really cool author out of the UK at Burnmouth, I think, uh, named yep. um, Mr. Brian Slade. Did we not, Mr. Jeff? We did. We did indeed. Yes, we did. And he, Which is unusual authored, for us, isn't it? <laughs> and um, he wrote the biography of um, Simon Cadell, who was from another Lloyd and Croft show, Heidi High. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he is a fan of Are You Being Served and a fan of the podcast. So we got to um, chat with him for a bit about the show, which was great. Yeah. So, so thanks for letting um, us uh, blabber on a little bit. Probably too much, Brian. So it was lovely to meet you and chat about the, the, the actors and the production and stuff because, you know, there's nothing more we like to talk about except drag queens, apparently. So. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. And we've also heard from some other people who have other podcasts that are tangentially related to Are You Being Served. Oh, hold on. Did we not, Mr. Brandon? What is she saying? Oh. Hold on. She's using her Morse code. What is it, dear? No, honey. They're, they're, they don't allow bells. On the BBC. Okay, she's getting excited. All right, so what happened? So Gladys, just hush up, okay? I'm going to put her, I'm putting her in her sock. Okay. <laughs> so um, we have um, some really cool folks over in United Kingdom. Uh, Jonathan Vernon Smith and William Hansen. They have a fabulous podcast. Um, now, here's the thing. We mentioned it on one of our episodes, but I can't find which one. Um, but apparently, we, we have asked our interns in the research department in the research silo. Do you think they, they followed through? No, of course, the zero dollars no. we pay them probably might be behind. right. But uh, anyhow, so they um, they host the fantastic, the opulent, the um, the riche, nouveau riche, uh, old riche, who knows? Um, podcast calling Keeping Up with Appearances, colon, the luxury podcast. Oh. The lug- so, so we don't have any uh, an ounce of luxury in our podcast, do we? 
Well, we used to, but, you know, ever since the ladies and gents departments had to merge and uh, Mr. Granger's wife fronts were out in front, there was no luxury to be had in Mrs. Slocum's nickel. Well, you know, after, after I have my tea, I'm going to bring it up with Mr. Rumble just to see if we can. <laughs> anyway, so um, I think the only thing that's luxurious on our podcast is probably Gladys's rechromed bell. I mean, she's looking pretty good. <laughs> but anyhow, so um, they have a fabulous Keeping Up Appearances uh, podcast, the luxury podcast. So, um, again, go and listen to it. Find it on YouTube, on YouTube, on wherever you find your podcasts. Maybe it's on YouTube. Um, but we, they sent us a lo- lovely voicemail. And I have to say, it's the highest quality voicemail I've ever heard. I agree. Right? It, so, must, be, it must be that highfalutin equipment they have over there on Auntie B. I know. So we mentioned BBC a couple times. So, so um, Jonathan Ver- Vernon Smith, um, but he has a radio show on BBC on three, count- three counties radio called JVS Show. The JVS Show. Okay. So you can go and listen to that on podcasts. So that's good. Uh, if you Google his name... Uh, Vernon Smith, Jonathan Vernon Smith, and BBC, it comes right up. And also, William Hansen has a cool podcast called I Sexted My Boss. <gasps> Gas. To which he is co-host. Uh, and he's sort of like professional etiquette, um, proper like guide of life. And then his co-host on the show is sort of like um, a bit rougher around the edges is what I would politely say. Lesson. Okay. Uh, but they're really fun anyway, so why don't we listen to their voicemail and see what they had to say? Hello, chaps. My name's William Hansen, and with me, I'm Jonathan Vernon Smith. And we are the hosts of Keeping Up Appearances, the luxury podcast. And on Jonathan's regular show on the BBC, one of his new listeners uh, is also a listener to your podcast. She's in Illinois. And she said that you very kindly mentioned us and she phoned in and has started listening to Jonathan's show uh, because of you. So thank you. Terribly kind. If uh, you would like to, uh, we'll we'll give you a shout out on our podcast when we uh, record some more episodes. Um, And thank you so much. We will start listening to your podcast because we love I being served. I'm free! But if you'd like to let us know where you mentioned us, that would be gorgeous. A big hug from the UK. Christian Slaters. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. You know, unfortunately, like we said, our interns in the research department couldn't figure out exactly which episode. Um, but thank you to the, your rogue listener who connected <laughs> us. We were so grateful. I know. So that's lovely. Um, I've always said that um, keeping up appearances is such like, I, I don't want to say equal to our being served because that's, that's a hierarchy for me. But when <laughs> we've <laughs> when we've said to folks that, you know, we're not going to, podcast forever like we're gonna have to eventually stop and we've done 88 episodes of original content from the show um we've done every single episode and tonight we're doing the absolutely last bit of content um and we've said you know go out and there's lots of other podcasts there's the are you the um uh keeping up appearances podcast uh there's one on kath and kim out of uh melbourne uh gosh there's lots of podcasts out there so um and if you wanted to make your own podcast, we might have more to say about that next time. That's all we're going to say. So there you go. Isn't that right, Mr. Rajat? Yeah, it is indeed, Mr. Brandon. <laughs> Thank you to all our friends in the podcast universe. And please, everybody, wash your hands. Please keep in touch on current events. And as always, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. And you've all done very well. All right. Well, golly, um, for the last time, I can say that now, for the last time, because like we said, we've done every episode of Are You Being Served, the weird American pilot 
that very few people saw, the mm-hmm. Australian show with our, our super fan friend of the show, Dina Crary. And gosh, what else was I doing? Every episode of Grace and Favor stroke Are You Being Served Again with this episode. We did the film. We the did film. the 2016 reboot. The reboot. And probably yeah. want like the Icelandic version, which very few people have seen. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you being Gefjörnir? No, I can't. I was going to try to do like the name of the Icelandic volcano. Canceled. I can't. Canceled. Canceled. So anyway, so as we've, as, for the last time, Mr. Jeff, um, paint the picture. What do we see? What the hell are these nice people listening to us about? Tonight we are talking about series two, episode six, The Darts Match which originally premiered on February 8th, 1993. And that week in the news, again, for the sixth week in a row, (laughs) at the top of the charts, in the U.S., in the U.K., everywhere, was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Oh, okay. But also on the charts that week was her other single from the Bodyguard soundtrack, I'm Every Woman. Popular soundtrack, it sounds like. And Annie Lennox had a hit with Little Bird that week as well. But no one can hear it because every radio for for at all time was playing nothing but um, I Will Always Love You. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so okay. uh, that week in the news, uh, General Motors sued NBC, alleging that the Dateline NBC program had rigged two car tr- and truck crashes to show that um, GM pickups were prone to fires. So this may be one of those point of cultural differences that exposes the very tiny age gap in between our generations. I'm very do you remember that point in time no when idea. people, when when um, SUVs started to come into prominence, and people mostly in the Isuzu and the Suzuki brands, and if you took a sharp curve at like thirty miles an hour, they would tip over. Um, like, you know, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, cars have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and I used to think that this is before hybrids, of course. And that just means you yep. get like nine gallons and miles a gallon, which is really bad. And then like the small right. little Toyota would get like 26, right? So basically, basically they started manufacturing these cars that were like mini Jeeps, but they just weren't um, structurally sound enough where their center of gravity was. And I remember like it being parodied on... <laughs> like my local like morning zoo radio program, they talk about Suzuki rollovers, and they'd <laughs> sing it to the song of like some commercial. But mm. I remember, I very clearly remember this being a thing about all these cars just tipping over out of seemingly nowhere. Well, if you think about it, if cars were always kind of small and the center of gravity was kind of where it was, and then suddenly this big ass car was being produced, like there's going to be some transition time where yep. people don't know how to. You know, if you have a sub- Chevy Subur- Suburban, is that what it is? And suddenly you've had like a Volkswagen Beetle your whole life. You're going to take some time to not. I mean, car That's shouldn't also be true. To that. learn, yeah, to learn how to um, to drive it. Yeah, that makes mm, a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, the Michael Jackson talks to Oprah Winfrey special aired on ABC and drew an outstanding fifty-six share, meaning ninety million people watched it. One of these days, and this I'm is the... have to figure out who that guy is. I just can't place my finger <laughs> on him. Um, this is the one where he admitted to having vitiligo and that his father abused him and that he was dating Brooke Shields at the time. I don't remember the last one at all. I remember everything else that um, uh, that happened in that, 
Um, but this was prior to any of his, um, I think this is prior to his marriages or prior to any of his kids or anything like that. Um, this was at, this is basically, this, is, this was a big deal. I remember that. Yeah. This is when, um, this is the era of his dangerous album, um, being out, which I remember was like his huge, like comeback. Oh, gosh, we're feeling old all of a sudden, aren't we? 1993. Yeah. Well, here's the next one. President Clinton selects Janet Reno to be the first um, female U.S. Attorney General. I can't tell you a single piece of, um, well, it wouldn't be legislation, but I can't tell you a single case that she prosecuted on behalf of the U.S. government. I just, what, well, let's see again if this is, uh, you know, that tiny bit of generation gap. What do you remember Janet Reno for? I'm very bad. I, the Saturday Night Live sketches. Exactly. No, that's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. Is Will Ferrell's impersonation of her in Janet Reno's dance party, right? Because, <laughs> um, of, of course, you had you know, comical uh, of a man dressing up as a woman. Um, and that Janet Reno was not a traditional beauty. You know, she would never be mistaken yeah, for Yeah, but she's attorney supermodel. general. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's incredible how with the double standard, especially in 93, I guess. But, I mean, back then, right. having a female politician or someone acting in government was quite rare, right? Right. And I think that that's where the comedy came from, is that you had somebody who was in such a serious role being at, like, a dance party. And, you know, that was Will Farrell like, maintaining her composure and just being very stern-faced <laughs> while she's hosting this dance party. Like, that's, that's where the so humor stupid. was in it. So, <laughs> right. Oh, God. All right. So so that's what was happening when this originally aired at the Antibeeb. Um, by the way, um, Jonathan Vernismith, if you are trolling the, 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 the halls of the BBC and you see, like, one of those old props, or those, the Grace Brother bags... Send us a copy, okay? Send us, you know, it'll be our Christmas present. You don't have to tell anybody. Or you could, or buy our knockoff at imfree.threadless.com. <laughs> That's imfree.threadless.com. Oh my God, that was not even planned, but I like how you're <laughs> thinking. We've earned 27 cents on uh, all that so far. But good. We're very appreciative. So, all right, so now we have, uh, we know what was happening in the world. Uh, what happens when we turned on our 1993 Magnavox color 21-inch televisions in 1993. <laughs> well, first it takes a couple seconds to warm up, and you got to get that blip <laughs> you come it out to channel like from three, the snow. And then you got right. yeah, okay. And then you click your clicker box into the middle setting <laughs> and click. Okay, anyway. So um, as most of the episodes of this series uh, open, uh, we are saying goodbye to uh, the most recent guests, yep. and this time it's a silent order of monks uh, who've been visiting, and the staff line up. I expect them to break out into so long farewell from A Sound of Music because <laughs> they're in the line saying goodbye, goodbye. Yeah. Um, Mr. Humphreys curtsies as they leave, which is always hysterical. You know, it's it's one of those things where he gives the very subtlest gesture, and we all crack up laughing. Yeah, like exactly. the Like the elbow falling off the table, you know? So this is a weird um, thing. I ha- So I watched the episode in preparation for tonight's recording. And gasp. I, I know. I I predicted this last episode, didn't I? You did indeed. Right? Which is why I thought you had seen it. No, when we no. Last well, time. I mean, maybe there's like some little germ of a memory in my brain back in the cobweb section. But I think I said last episode we were talking about, oh, it was the Mongolian episode. And we yep. were saying, oh, it's kind of unfortunate the way they kind of make like rather racist anti-Asian jokes about the Mongolians and like making up like words that's 
kind of, it's Chinese, but they're saying it's, I don't know. It was just, and I said, well, it's too bad they couldn't have done like a bunch of monks and they're like from a silent order. So they couldn't speak, which is exactly what happened on this episode. So I wonder if there was a little germ that I remembered. From 30 years ago. Oh, jeez. Right. Uh, They they held up a sign to... um, to communicate their displeasure Did you enjoy and their stag. your stay? And they pull up, hold up signs saying what? No <laughs> not, thanks. Not much. Not much. <laughs> yeah. Aww. And the abbot hands him a business card as he leaves and offers Mr. Humphreys a free trial weekend as a novice in the monastery. And obviously this is a joke here about um, uh, closeted homosexuality and religious orders. I may have known a monk or two. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Ironically, he, uh, he, he swore me to an oath of silence about it. So. An oath of secrecy. There you go. <laughs> um, Mr. Rumpold tells Captain Peacock <gasps> to shut the door. And this is um, kind of the final straw. Um, Captain Peacock doesn't obey. And he's really upset that Rumpold tell, told him and not asked him. And Rumbold is getting equally as mad that his authority is being undermined. Which was right? mentioned in the will from Mr. Young Mr. Grace, we learned, right? It was something that was right. written down that uh, Mr. Rumbold would be the manager. So Would be the manager and the trustee. Yeah, right. yeah. So, but it's like we were talking about last week, and we've talked about um, with so many of our guests about now the staff are the, – there isn't the hierarchy that there was in the store. Yeah. Where – you know, uh, Miss Brahms is the junior to Mrs. Slocum, and Mrs. Slocum answers to Captain Peacock, and Captain Peacock answers to Mr. Rumbold, that they're more or less equal shareholders in this trust, um, ex- you know, except that, Cap- that Mr. Rumbold is uh, the trustee, and Miss Lovelock is the other trustee that signs the checks. So, yeah. Kind of weird. Miss Lovelock backs up Captain Peacock. Well, you mean Sweet Fanny Adams in my life, darling. Um, I don't know what Which that I means. thought was... Great. So here's the story. In 1867, an eight-year-old girl um, in London, Fanny Adams, was murdered. There was a okay. child abductor that, you know, that lured her in with penny candy and hacked her to pieces. Oh, my God. And the pieces all... It was a very, very brutal murder. Um, and um, the English Navy took it over as slang. Um because the um, the tinned mutton rations that they used to get were of poor quality. It <gasps> like was it was just a little like, girl's body? Like it was a little girl's Holy body crap. chopped up. And so Fanny Adams, her initials, F.A., also came to stand for fuck all. So what Miss Lovelock is really saying is, oh, you mean fuck all in my life, darling. So it's not quite Cockney rhyming slang, but it's like... No, it's, just it's like not Polari. Something something sneaky really but that's horrific no. oh my god bad english a navy of 1867 <laughs> oh my god mr okay. rumbold is frustrated and he says well if any of you think i'm not up to the job you should jolly well say so mm. and they all raise their hands and i'm unanimous in that i could see that coming <laughs> and and rumbold has a kind of um coming to jesus moment he has got a reckoning where he realizes Oh, I don't have the authority that I used to in the store. Yeah. And we see this huge pendulum shift in him 
but it's way too extreme. And that's what is a germ of a lot of the comedy here. Yeah. Is him being out of character and asking for permission to ba- to basically do anything to the point where it frustrates the staff. Like, oh, I just wish he'd go back to his old ways already, right? Yeah, I just had an idea, a thought that, you know, we, we talked, in fact, one of the things we talked about uh, with Brian, the author, Brian Slade, um, what if there was another um, series, a, a third series of Grace and Favor, Are You Being Served Again? And it's almost like uh, Nicholas Smith's character, Mr. Rumbold, is realizing, oh, things aren't like they used to be. It's almost mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm older now. I'm not in a shop. I'm one of equals here. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to have an extra series because this is the last episode, folks, of, this, of the show. Not the podcast, but um, to see them, like, get old and, like... To see the transformation. To see how Rumble, if Rumbold really did change into being, you know, less uptight and more of a peer to yeah. these colleagues he's known for 20 some odd years and of course you know what's fun about the show is we know the characters we know how we can predict how they act a lot of the comedy comes from like we know that mr humphreys is going to say i wish i could afford that or whatever (laughs) but it would be i mean the idea of mr rumble acquiescing and realizing oh i'm not in charge captain peacock realizing oh all those stories i tell aren't really true and no one believes them uh mrs except for miss lovelock except mrs lovelock right bless her um, or Mrs. Slocum realizing, okay, maybe I was known as the town bicycle in Tiverton um, right. back when I was young. Um, but, I mean, you know, that's funny because Brian Slade said, you know, a really big um, – I think we asked him, like, what's an American equivalent of are you being served that has, like, people just went, went crazy over it in the UK. And he said, um, Golden Girls. And, and John Inman had said the same, same thing in an interview I saw. Uh, Golden Girls, it was interesting to see – these women who weren't quite old, they were only like in their early 50s, I think. But right. in the yep. 80s, whatever, that was quite old, whatever. But it was interesting to see how they dealt with age and growing older. And that would have been kind of cool to see our favorite characters doing that too. I, and much like and much like Are You Being Served, it does have a queer cult following. I don't even know if you could call it a cult following anymore. I think that Golden Girls is pretty much a staple. You know, in the queer community, yeah. It, it is definitely odd um, having some, them building pathos for Mr. Rumbold because not only does he begin to have this existential crisis about who he is, but we also learn what happened to Mrs. Rumbold. You know, we've been asking this entire time. What happened to Diana Peacock? What happened to Mrs. Rumbold? Did she take his uh, basil brush uh, stuffed plushy fox in the divorce? Um, <laughs> Mrs. Rumbold ran off with Mr. Prentice from Tools of Heart oh, and Hard. No, well, he tried to That's sell. Very, very sad. He tried to sell Mr. Humphrey some very interesting um, attachments to his <laughs> his his something something. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, uh, I don't. I I think it was a play on Tool. Oh uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, right. So um, we get to the we get to the heart of the episode pretty early on. Randomly, so, what happens? <laughs> kudos, so kudos, kudos to the uh, to the script writers there. Uh, Mr. Moulter comes into the kitchen and uh, comes into the manor, and he announces that he's got a challenge with the locals from the pub, uh, who are um, challenging the the people of the manor to a darts match. Just randomly walks right. in, you know. Oh, I got a challenge from the pub. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're talking about um, uh, Mrs. Slocum's um, uh, dart playing prowess, apparently, when she was with Mrs. Axelby back 
at her local in London, and she surprised all she surprised all the lads when she pulled off a double top. <laughs> um, you know, the entendre here is that she pulled off her shirt and flashed her boobs for everyone to see. Um, but double top is actually when you score forty uh, when you're playing darts. So, uh, Mr. Brandon, how much do you know about the game of darts? I'll have you know, Mr. Jeff, actually, that I played darts just this last weekend. I did. Did you really? I did. Did you I really? Did. Indeed, Mr. Brandon. Um, did you play uh, 301 or cricket? Oh, I don't know who what the guy's <laughs> name at all. But, I mean, his name was John, <laughs> I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so darts, if you've never played darts, I think it has a special place in the heart of English folks in a pub because – uh, you're drinking and you, you're talking and it's something to do. And it's actually quite fun. Um, I will say a lot of the darts that I grew up with and I, that I played last weekend was the electronic thing with like the, the dart board instead of cork. Uh, okay. It's like the little holes that you have to perfectly aim into. Uh, gotcha. So it's like a reusable thing. It's not very good. But when you have like a real dart board that you have to replace every so often, it's a lot more fun. It's It's actually kind of a... A, a game kind of cathartic also yeah 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 that's true it, it does it doesn't require um a hell of a lot of physical skill and it's easy to learn it's easy to kind of uh, train your muscles in order to be able to throw you know it's basically all about being all in your elbow you've got to keep your shoulder locked and your wrist locked and if you could do that you could throw a dart um, and so when I was in university here in America, um, we played cricket uh, when we go to our local pub. We didn't play 301 or 501. Um, and I didn't actually learn about that until I think one of the first times that I visited the UK and was just confused about why people were going for other numbers. But anyway, so um, – What's mostly played in Britain is either 301 or 501, where you, you get uh, uh, points for every um, every dart you hit that's within the target. Okay. So if you picture a, if you picture a dartboard, there's the numbers all around, uh, and there, there's an outer ring, and then there's an inner ring, and then there's the bullseye, right? Right, the, in the middle, the little okay. red circle, right? Right. So the outer ring is worth double whatever number you're on. And the inner ring is worth triple whatever number you're on. Okay. And then the outer bullseye is worth 25 points and the inner bullseye is worth 50 points. So if we're talking, you know, pig Latin to you. So if you think picture like a pizza, right, a circle, um, mm-hmm. it's like how many slices would that be in the dartboard? 20. So there's so, 20. like pick, picture pick a pizza, 20 equal size slices. And the center where all the points meet, that's the bullseye. And the crust... Ooh, that's good. I'm actually pretty good oh, at that describing is good. this. Yeah. <laughs> um, the crust is its own little section. And if you hit any of the crusts, you get triple. Double? Double. <laughs> you get double the, um, the, the score value. So yeah. each slice has its own number points, right? Yeah. And the closer you get in towards the center within that slice of pizza, the, the points go up. That's pretty yeah, basic. Yeah, that's it. So I yeah, that's that's the way to do it. So. Yeah, and I learned about um, darts when I was in the UK because you go to a couple of local pubs and they have it there. But on reruns on television, they had this show called Bullseye. So if you want to like see what real dart fanatics are, <laughs> it was a TV show on ITV from like 1981 to 1990. And was it a quiz show? It was a game show. 
And they would ask, and the funny thing is they go to like little towns in England or Scotland or somewhere and like find these dudes who it's always, I don't think there were ever any women. Maybe they were, but like 1981 fashion and hairstyle, like little small town England. Mm -hmm. um, They pull these dudes out from the, from the pub and send them down to London um, and put them in front of a TV camera. And they were so awkward and nervous. It's actually kind of fun just Aww. to see how bad it is. But yeah, they're like, it, you really get into it. So maybe darts will take over after we release this podcast. I don't know. But it's maybe a bunch of renaissance of darts. Check yeah. It out. Yeah. So um, when they say double top, that means because 20 is the the number that's at the very top of the dartboard. If you imagine like a clock face, it's where 12 o'clock would be. Okay, at the top, yeah. At the very top. So if you hit the outer ring, it's worth double. So 20 times 2 is 40. So it's scoring 40 points okay. in darts, right? Yeah. Um, and this is obviously different than cricket, where the idea is to hit each number from 2015 plus the bullseye three times before your opponent does. I imagine there's a lot of people who've had a few too many scrumpies and they're just like, let's just throw <laughs> it at the board. We can't. That's <laughs> too much. Yeah. Yeah. Cricket cricket is a lot harder because you actually have to aim for certain you know rings and be able to close them out uh, in a certain sequence. Whereas three or one or five or one for amateurs, you just throw it wherever the board and you're as long as it lands in the target, you're going to get some number of points. It may be one, but you'll get points. And because this is the name of the last episode of content we're doing, go and buy yourself a dart game. Like go on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or something and just find a used one. Put it up in your basement or garage and like, you know, have a beer, whatever, or a tea um, and just throw it at the thing. And then when you, you kind of go on YouTube and see like the way to make it better to aim and easier, it's actually pretty fun. I was surprised at how fun it is. Yeah. So there we go. So they all go change clothes uh, because Mavis and Mr. Moulter need help loading the sheep onto the trailer. Uh, Mr. Moulter has sold some of his sheep to a local farmer and hang on to that plot point because it will become important <laughs> a little bit later okay, on. Okay, okay. Mr. Humphreys is dressed in his finest farming attire, and he's got a hat from his uh, pen pal in Australia. Of course. And it it does look quite like the Bush Tucker hat that he wore in uh, the episode we reviewed um, of Are You Being Served in Australia, except he didn't have the corks on it, right? He just had the the wide-brimmed hat. It also looks exactly like the hat when he had to portray the village person. Not yeah. YMCA, but, you know, the other one, the episode yeah. with Mr. Slocum, I think. That's right. Yeah. Um, and apparently, if you turn your brim up on the right-hand side in Australia, it means you're in the army. But if you turn it up on the left-hand side, you come from Queensland, oh. uh, which could have been a very good Paul Lynn-style response <laughs> uh, had it been timed differently. Of course, Queensland is it... a state in Australia, but it's also cute because he's gay, like a queen. So Right. Um very uh, very odd that this is also different than um, the way that ear piercings were perceived in American culture in the 90s. Oh, my because, God, yeah. Be- because if you pierced your ear on the right-hand side, that was your queer, and the left-hand side was where all the straight guys got it pierced. So I have a story, if I may. Is the floor, is the floor open to stories? The floor is always open to stories, Mr. Brandon. How have you not been paying attention for the past 88 episodes? Gladys says no, but I'm just going to put you back in your sock. Okay. (laughs) Um, So when I was a wee lad, 17, I must have been 18. 
I don't know. Uh, in my native Arkansas, next to northern Mississippi, um, I decided I was going to get my hair, my, my hair. I was going to get my ear pierced and, and be rebellious. Uh, so I went into Claire's. Do they still have Claire's? They do. It's like where 14-year-old girls go to buy bracelets, basically. And there's me. And to get their ear pierced. <laughs> and, right? and, and gay men to get their ears pierced. So uh, in Arkansas, there was the phrase, right ain't right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right, right, ain't is not. Right, right. So if you get your ear piercing in the right ear, that means, oh, you're, you're a homosexual. So I walk into the woman, and she was, uh, the woman at the Claire's, she was like 60-something. Like, what are you doing working mm-hmm. at Claire's, lady? Um, but I, and I said, I want to get my ear pierced. Okay, which side do you want? Pregnant pause. And I said, well, what is the saying? Is it right ain't right or left ain't right? I was playing with her. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's right. And I'm like, that's the one I want. And I looked, dead her, looked at her dead in the eye. And then I kind of gave her like a Mr. Humphreys look. <laughs> and then she said, whatever you want, you're paying. <laughs> so then I had an earring. There we go. That's there it. You go. Not yeah. very exciting. <laughs> when I was 18, I was also interested in getting my ear pierced, but I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to do it. And so I was in, I'm pretty sure I was in uh, on 8th Street in the village, in Greenwich Village in New York City. Typical. And I bought a, I bought a, a clip-on, a clip-on hoop. Um, and okay. I, I wore it home and got home and my parents weren't home yet. So I started making dinner and my mom came home and she was furious <gasps> because, you know, she thought I had done this without telling her I'd done it. And I just pulled it on. I'm like, I'm just trying it on. It's a, it's a clip on. Please don't be upset. Um, uh-huh. it took me another eight years before I would work up the courage to get my ear pierced because I was more terrified of the pain. Because uh, I do not like needles, I do not like yeah, things poking me. It's kind of gross. Um, you know, but um, you know, one piercing and two tattoos later, there you go. And of course, you ride your motorcycle everywhere you go, right? <laughs> Side saddle, of course. So Peacock has been telling Miss Lovelock uh, tall tales about his time in the service again, uh, about fighting a Gestapo Alsatian from Yugoslavia. Um, <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I know me, Alsatian should... is a German shepherd in England, right? That's, that's what, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, he even showed me the bite marks. And Captain Peacock is all concerned that she's revealing secrets that he, um, he tells her in confidence. Like, these are supposed to be romantic things, yeah. right? <laughs> Meanwhile, Miss Brahms has heard this story before. No, he got those from Miss Attenbrook in accounts. Oh, I wonder. We don't need to know those details. So basically, he's been telling Miss Lovelock, played by our fabulous friend of the show, Joanne Haywood, that um, he was fighting a German shepherd who was a member of the Gestapo somehow. I guess the Gestapo had German shepherds in Yugoslavia. In Yugoslavia. <laughs> not, yeah. uh, it, not, he couldn't say, I fought you know, a Gestapo soldier. No. He fought a dog. But somehow... Right. Well, it had to be bite marks, right? Because the soldier wouldn't bite him. And certainly anyone, like when he was chasing Rummel through the desert... Um, there would oh I just put two and two together. Hang on a second. Um, this would have been the time of um, the the first Gulf War, and so it probably wouldn't have been socially acceptable to be talking about chasing Rummel through the North African desert and <gasps> hinting at anything about Middle East oh, with that going that's on. That's very good. 
That's All very right. good. But uh, this also, I had a brainwave here, to quote Kath and Kim. Um, why would Miss Lovelock know that Captain Peacock has bite marks unless they were intimate? She No, he told her as a way of talking about his, his uh, telling uh, his telltales about his army. Or maybe she her. said, she said, what are these bite marks on your lower back or whatever? <gasps> That's what I'm saying. I think this is proof unanimous. Well, you know, the joke is this, he, she, that Miss Attenbrook in accounts had to fight him off <laughs> of one of his advances when he probably pursued her with his blow tickler. Uh, I mean, who uh, hasn't been party, pursued right? by his blow tickler? Right. So Mr. Rumbold has a plan for getting the sheep in the trailer, but of course this is a new and improved Mr. Rumbold, so he asks everyone's permission first if they're okay with the plan. Yeah. He assigns everyone to what they do, and it doesn't work. They're unable to contain the sheep, and the sheep run off. They're not on the trailer, and Mr. Moulton is going to lose several hundred pounds probably because like 20 he's, sheep. he's lost That's a lot sheep. of money. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say and, that I, uh, how I love Mr. Humphreys is wearing uh, stirrups, with like fake little leather tassels as if it's like 1958 <laughs> spaghetti western he was so right. cute and, and there's a really cool and in fact joanne haywood sent us um uh, on twitter i think a really cool clip of like a blooper reel from this episode where they're trying to like deal with the sheep and trying to wrangle them and of course the sheep are not going crazy and jumping around and that's uh they must have maybe filmed it twice or three times because each time the sheep are probably going crazy. And John Inman doesn't know how... He's from London. He doesn't know what sheep are. Um, right. And he was, like, looking kind of scared and, like, the, what do I do now? That was probably not acting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, we, we we get a bit of casual physical abuse comment here where uh, Miss Mavis brings up her old, oh, Dad will give me the strap for this. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they tried really hard to make that a joke or make that a recurring thing in the first couple of episodes, but it never quite caught on. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Um, later that evening, they're all dressed up to go out the pub, and you would think that they are going out for a night on the opera. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Miss, Miss Brahms and Mrs. Slocum are... Basically, and Miss Lovelock even are you know one step away from wearing dressing uh, from wearing evening gowns. They are so dolled up. The height of nineteen ninety three fashion, really. Yes, uh, and th- th- they're just going down the local. <laughs> you know, I don't know what they expect. Um, they're going to drive t- rather than taking the horse and cart. They're going to drive in the car. Which is Mr. Grace, Mr. Grace's. They have a car apparently. Mr. Oh. Grace kept an old Daimler, which or a Mercedes Benz, uh, in the car, and he loved to take it out. We got some great t- double entendre about uh, Miss Lovelock telling stories about them driving it around. Um, Moulter needs to crank it up. Like that's how old it is. It doesn't have a combustion start engine. It needs to be cranked up. Okay. Um, and because there's no task tax disc displayed, um, Moulter. Uh, uses a beer label in its place so that, you know, when hopefully the police won't look at it too carefully and see that it's not a real tax disc. Um, I was surprised that they actually used a real one. Um, Newcastle Brown Ale is a, is a known brand of beer. Yeah. Um, and so I was surprised that they didn't have to make a fake one uh, and they were actually able to use that brand imaging oh, in yeah. this uh, series. Yeah, it's interesting. So I... I, I... I kind of think we should mention what a tax disc is. I wonder if back in the day that's what they called it. But now I think, um, which is a little different than the States uh, or Canada, 
In the UK, you have to do something called MOT, which is basically you have to pay the tax on your car. Used one, new one, you have to pay this tax and you have to show it so that um, if you're pulled over or whatever, the, the police officer knows instantly by the, um, the little sticker on your window, on the, on the inside of your window, that you've paid it. And if you get pulled over and you haven't paid it, well, that's another fine, right? So I guess yep. in the 90s or 80s or whatever, they probably called it a tax disc. But nowadays, it's like a little square sticker or something. But basically, that's what that is. Yeah, it's basically, for all intents and purposes, registration. You know, many states in the U.S., you'll have it uh, similarly on your inside uh, windshield on the driver's side. Inside leg. (laughs) Right, inside leg. (laughs) It's a whole Um, other tax, honey. uh, To either show that you're registered or that you have uh, had your car inspected uh, for emissions, et cetera, right? Um, so the car starts, it wobbles because it's a you know 70-year-old car, and we see Miss Brahms and Miss Lovelock jiggling in the front seat, <laughs> right? Because, in the back seat, because they're wearing dresses that reveal quite a lot of their decolletage, decolletage shall we say. Yeah. Right? And they do some great uh, acting there in terms of getting the bouncing going so we could see their um, decolletage moving. Hmm. <laughs> and we get a great line, well, Mr. Grace didn't have to do much, did he? Which uh, was pretty lewd, I thought. Pretty lewd, right? Yeah. So because well, we had, we had we had something quite like that. You know, wasn't there something about um, Mr. Grace going on a honeymoon and going someplace where they have earthquakes, and, and something like that in the original series? Marital bliss gone out the window. <laughs> yeah. God. So speaking of all this, I'm rather, and you can hear in my voice. I, I think I need a bit of a uh, rum and pep, perhaps, to to <laughs> blast away those germs and. Or postules, as Miss Brahms, Miss Slocum would say. What do you think we nip on down to the canteen? All right, let's head on down to the canteen we'll for a tea right break. We'll be right back. So unanimous, we actually decided to go down to the Vine Tree Pub instead of the canteen instead. Uh, and I was just, uh, I was over in the saloon playing darts, so I didn't see where Mr. Brandon went. I think he stayed in the snug the entire time. Um, did you have a pot, port, and lemon for your throat? I did have a, I had a, a, a hot toddy, you know, um, a little whiskey, a little lemon, a little hot water. Oh, that's who you were in the snug with. His name was Todd. All right, oh, got honey. it. <laughs> oh, honey. Oh, my God. Yes, that's exactly right. So now that you've mentioned the Vine Tree Pub, uh, I think that's where we left off in the show. Is that right? It is indeed. We cut to uh, a shot of the Vine Tree Pub and the staff are pushing the car because they ran out of petrol on the way. Uh, it obviously hadn't been, you know, the, the car had been sitting idle for so long that they never checked how much gas was in it. There we go, right? Um, Mavis notices that Malcolm's bike is parked outside. Well, of course Malcolm is going to be there. He's on the local darts team, yeah. and they challenge them. It shouldn't be a surprise that Malcolm and Heathcliff is there. They also kind of referenced this, didn't they, in the last episode? Because they did. Mavis they did said, indeed. oh, that Malcolm Heathcliff, he gets right up his nose when he's been drinking. Or playing darts, and now right. here we are yeah. playing darts, yeah. Um, Percy the policeman greets Morris Moulterd. Um, this is, um, he's played by Nick Scott, who's had some bit parts here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he notices that there's no tax disc on the car. Oh, no. Completely contrary to Mr. Moulterd's advice to Mr. Rumbold earlier. Um, and uh, he starts saying that you know he's going to get in trouble, he's going to get a fine. Well, you know, Morris, there's only one course open to me. Take a bribe, 
You know it. <laughs> dot, 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 right? And then they, yeah. they, they freeze frame um, on this really odd shot of them smiling, mouth agape, the both of them. I got to say, really I thought odd. Billy Burden was just so adorable in that scene. Yep. And I think he uh, passed away not too long after the the end of the second series. Yep. Uh, and a lot of, um, there's a Frank Thornton interview I saw recently where I think maybe he had just passed away because he was quite sad about it. And he was a very well-loved actor. Um, yep. Joanna Haywood, Joanne Haywood mentioned him. Uh, yep. So cute. You're so right. I mean, I don't know if they did freeze the frame, but or they just said fucking still. Oh, oh no, no. They they, they did. Yeah, they stood still. This was not a, a technical freeze frame. Yeah. But it was so cute. Um, did you know that the Vine Tree Inn is an actual place that people can go to this very day? Is it still open? Uh, it is. It is, which is unusual for them. So I just Googled the Vine Tree Inn, and it's off the M4. Uh, if you go okay. off the M4 going towards um, Bristol... City, joke. Hmm. Um, it's in a little town called Norton, N O R T O N. Yeah, so the vine tree dot co dot UK. And how how far is that from Tetsbury, um, where the the mill the Millstone Manor or the building that um, or Millstone Manor is supposed to be? And I just looked at it, and it looks like the Vine Tree Inn. Uh, is like a 14-minute drive away from Tetbury where Millstone Manor, the building. Oh, okay. The so actual was... building where you can go and have a, holo- um, a, a wedding or something is there. So we could, we could or- I'm thinking we need to organize That Does Suit Madam tours and send people to a country we don't live in. Uh, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> but you maybe can this... go to the Vine Tree Inn, so that's good. Maybe we could have the second annual Madam Con at the Vine Tree Club. <laughs> Could you imagine? Okay. <laughs> sure. Let's do it. The, the pub is very dimly lit, uh, and it looks like they're entering in on the saloon side. And Mrs. Slocum remarks, well, I've never been in here before. <laughs> and we hear a voice call out, good evening, Mrs. Slocum, your usual. <laughs> which Poor betrays Mrs. Slocum. She's right. trying to be like, you know, of course, someone upper, upper middle class, you know, um, probably wouldn't go to a pub. I mean, I think it's completely fine. Right. Certain, but maybe in her regularly. generation, that would have not happened, right? Right. Well, I mean, no, she went down to her local with Mrs. Axelby several times, although I'm sure, again, they stayed on the saloon side. They never went to the public bar, you know? Um, the mm. landlord is played by Colin Edwin, um, who had a reputation for playing police on a lot of shows. He was uh, Detective Sergeant Webb on Emmerdale Farm, as okay. well as PC Conway on Corey. Um, Ooh, what is so PC? A- Pol- police Constable? Police constable. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, the landlord uh, recognizes them. Oh, you must be the staff from Milstern Manor here for the darts match. The <laughs> locals are waiting for you in the public bar drinking Scrumpy. Oh, uh, yeah. And this is what we learn what Scrumpy is, uh, thanks to our um, uh, generous sponsors at uh, Moulturd Scrumpy. That's right. Try Moulturd brand Scrumpy. <laughs> yeah. So, Mr. Brandon, tell us what is a Scrumpy? Okay, so this is something that, um, you know, when you think about England, it has um, England, Wales, Scotland, the UK, whatever. Uh, They have different areas that do things that are different than the other areas, right? That's what makes them different. One of the things that's, yeah, regional. One of the regional things of like the West Country of England, um, which is where. Uar, Uar. Uar, Uar. (laughs) Yeah. So Bristol uh, was a famous port. 
um, where a lot of um, uh, American immigrants would have been immigrating from because it's on the West Coast and easier sailing uh, from England to the U.S., Mm -hmm. to the East Coast of the U.S. Um, So the reason why you think of pirates saying, oh, army matey, was because they were from Bristol, right? Yep. And uh, the West Country. So they have this very unique way of speaking. And something else that's unique is that they um, all grow apples. So when you think of the West Country, like Bristol, um, you think of apple, apple orchards. Okay. So for hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years, I don't know, they've been growing apples in that part of England. And when you have the very nice shiny apples that are commanding the best price at the markets, uh, ship them up to London. Um, that's one thing. But what do you do with all the apples that aren't the best, don't look very good, they're kind of dried up a little bit? Well, gosh darn it, why don't you go and make booze out of it? And that's what Scrumpy is. It's okay. like um, homebrew, which is you know alcohol made locally, kind of small batches. Um, people probably have to do something with those apples, so why not make some booze out of it? Um, I've never had Scrumpy. I really would love to try it, but apparently... As you can see in this episode, it's quite strong stuff. And right. I did some research. It doesn't really taste of apple. So if you've ever been to England or especially Ireland, they love their Magners. Yep. Magners is made of apple uh, juice and it's fermented. But it has a kind of apple flavor. I don't think Scrumpy does. Yeah. But um, well, it's powerful stuff. That, one of the latest trends that is going on that I noticed uh, this summer when I was in the UK and is also making its way here in the States is um, cider made from fruits that aren't apples. You know, a while ago, I noticed that there were a lot of pear that Magners and Strongbow both made a pear cider. And mm. pears and apples are kind of related. I get it. But um, there is a Swedish brand that is quite popular over there and actually quite popular in the States as well called Recorderling. And they will do huh. um, they do a cherry cider that Ooh. is actually really, really good. And I'm not generally a fan of cherry flavor things. Um, oh, that sounds good. Now I'm getting thirsty. So, I should have had yeah, one of those really at the good. pub. Yeah, so be on the lookout for um, ciders that are not made of apples next time you're at your local. Uh, they have the benefit of being gluten-free for anyone that has celiacs. Um, there you go. So, okay, yeah. scrumpy. Yeah. It's Also, the word scrumpy sounds kind of well, weird to me. Well, you know what it makes me think of? Scrumpy, scrumpy is – there. you know how there are certain words that you will automatically tie into a character or a TV show and there is no other um, connotation that you could ever bring to that ever. They're always going to remind you of that one thing, right? Like I'm free. Right, exactly. Yeah. Scrumpy, scrumpy always brings me back to Kath and Kim where um, it's in uh, series one, episode – Two, I believe, okay. where uh, Kath and no, nope, where Kim and Sharon go speed dating, um, and okay. Sharon hits it off with all of her speed date because she's one of the guys, she's one of the mates. She could talk about cricket, she could talk about um, um, what's sports, the sports, anything, the guys, sports, you right. know, yeah. yeah. And um, Mark, who becomes her eventual boyfriend, uh, asks her out for a scrumpy. Right, which is um, slang, Australian slang for a delicious meal. It's short for scrumptious. Right? Or did he mean this type of alcohol? No, he meant he meant a meal. He he okay. meant to, he was he was asking her out on a proper date. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, scrumptious, scrumpy. So the, the locals are all drinking scrumpy. What does our staff order? And 
do these drinks sound like they would have actually ordered them 10 years ago in London? Okay. So what are they Let's to go order? I can't remember. Okay. So Peacock, Peacock has a double whiskey. Yep, that, that, that tracks. That and this like, is because think? I think Mr. Rumbold says, first round's on me, or everyone, I, I'm right. buying everyone drinks, right? That's right, because he's still trying to apologize. and, and <laughs> For being um, mean. For being mean, right? So Peacock yeah. has a double whiskey. I could see, I could see the, the Peacock that we know and love ordering that, although he, I could, he could also verily be a potential snot and order like a cognac in like a pub, right? Yeah. You don't like, don't order it, cognac in a pub. In the brandy snifter, just doing that, yeah. <laughs> um, Brahms has a large gin and tonic, which definitely tracks. Mrs. Okay. Slocum orders the same, which we know that that is her drink. Uh, usually a gin and lemon, uh, but she actually has some tonic water. Rum and pep. To dilute it out. Rum and pep, right? Miss mm-hmm. um, Lovelock also orders a gin and tonic. I thought that she would have gone something for a little bit more cosmopolitan, like a gimlet. Hmm. I don't know. I bought a. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I bought a friend of mine a, a large double gin and tonic, and it was uh like fourteen dollars. <gasps> that's a lot. Wow. Right? That or is, is that a cheap? Lot. Yeah. No, that's that's a lot. I mean, well, also, what it's was a lot it? Of well, gin. Was it well gin or was it um, top? Oh, shop? it was just what well gin. It wasn't like Tanqueray. Yeah. Um. Oh, should we should ex- should we explain that to our British listeners, or do you think they got it for context? What well gin or top shelf gin? Yeah, they well, now that you've said it, <laughs> sure, explain it. All right, what is well uh, yeah. gin again? Yeah, so uh, when in American culture, when you're in a bar and you're talking about well, when you order it for a drink, you're talking about the common, no name, lowest level, l- mediocre quality spirits, right? So like. Well, gin would not be a Bombay Sapphire. It would not be Tanqueray. It would not be a Beef Eater. It would be whatever they get wholesale from the distributor. And then top shelf are your name brand, highest quality, aspirational brands of spirits. Kaching what, is really what that means. Yeah. Uh, what um? What is the equivalent in the UK when you when you want to ask for? When you don't need the best quality of spirits when you're at a, a, a pub. Or I always just had scrumpy, so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in good quality with Mr. Moulter because he orders a scrumpy and one for Mr. Humphreys in, as well. But oh, Humphreys no. doesn't, doesn't want to drink this same thing that all these common men are drinking. Big, he wants rough, a, burly, yes. He wants, a, he wants a small port and lemon. You know, he doesn't want to get too tiddly. Uh, and uh, Mr. Moulter says, well, that won't put lead in your pencil. That won't what? put lead in your pencil. Yeah. I wasn't planning on writing to anybody. <laughs> um, that is a classic so, Mr. Mr. Humphreys joke. I love it's, it. It's a great, great Sadly, phrase. the last Mr. Humphreys joke. Oh, no. Um, oh. Do you know what? I, I randomly found out this week that wasn't from our lovely research department in um, northern Mississippi that um, pencils have never been made from lead. You know, we talk about the, the, the oh, stuff yeah. in the middle that you're right with as pencil lead, and everybody knows that it's not lead. But I guess I must have always assumed that back in antiquity time, it must have at one point in time been made from lead. But that's not the truth. <gasps> what is the truth? What it is Help is, us, Mr. Jeff. In um, the, late, the late 16th century, there was a large graphite ore found 
somewhere in rural England, but they thought that it was lead because looking at it, it looked like lead. And then when they went to dig it up, they described, oh, it's not lead. It's some other material that, hey, it leaves a mark when you press on it. Let's turn it into a writing instrument. So someone made a mistake and therefore that's why we call it lead. That's why we call it lead. Yeah. Some people could make the argument about uh, former presidents as well. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, moving along, right along. Um, We've we've now seen Malcolm um, in the public bar side of the pub. And the landlord is talking to him and says, you know, I don't want any trouble in year. Uh, You want to sort him out, you take him out the back. Um, So the the, the way that he said here, that seemed more like a Welsh accent more than a West Country accent. Like the year, you know, that's that's very uh, indicative uh, of a Welsh accent. Like for someone who watched Gavin and Stacey a gajillion times. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, the West Country is right bird up to Wales, right? That's yeah. true. It's close by. Yeah. But you know, that's whenever someone wants to um, color a character with a, a Welsh background, they'll make them do that kind of uh, accent. Um, you know, with this, was this before or after when Mavis like was one of the boys and she like downed her beer? Oh, this was scrumpy. right after she downed her scrumpy in one gulp, right? That was very impressive. And I wondered like, and, and you will see this again later, I wonder if they have an inner cup inside the mug so that the actor doesn't actually have to like down like Drink 16 a whole ounces pint. of liquid. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, she was cute. She did this cute little flirty thing, Mavis, when she like drank her scrumpy all at once, showing kind of she's like one of the people, you know, all when one down. And then I think Mr. Humphrey said something like, oh my goodness, uh, that was a lot for a young lady or whatever. And then she pulled her like shirt down past her shoulders and she said something like oh you've seen you ain't seen nothing yet I, i'm just or, getting it, started or something i'm just like getting that. started yeah it was like wow mavis okay yeah yeah i, I, I get i had that had to be because that certainly wasn't water and food coloring they were drinking they were drinking like a diluted cloudy apple juice you know oh yeah anyway well. Um, we also get to meet Malcolm's dad, Henry Heathcliff, um, who's played by Paul Humpletz, um, who um, played Churchill in a 2008 uh, BBC World War II documentary, um, but was also the star of, uh, he was also Kevin in um, a 1982 drama called On the Line. And we learned that he was the local farmer that bought the sheep. So is Malcolm the, yeah. Heathcliff... The neighbors of like, does he live next door? I mean, next door is a relative concept out in the country. In the country, your yeah, is, 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 is far away, but they must live very, very close. Then, like the next. Well, yeah, I mean, over. it's it's a small village. Um, I'm shocked at you, Mister Jeff. Why? Utterly shocked. Do you want to feel I, humiliated? Are you what ready? did I do now? <sighs> I thought it would have been very evident. I'm very disappointed. Oh, no. Uh, I, uh, maybe the memo from the research department did not reach your desk. I don't know. But this actor, Paul Humpletz, oh. I don't know how you say his name. Um, Heath, Henry Heathcliff, Malcolm Heathcliff's dad. If I were to say, Mad Moore, um, oh, damn, what is it? Uh, you, you're not telling me you're Mad Maul Gumby. No. You're not in the he, Gumby gang, are you? No, not at all. Yes. Tell, uh, Same actor. 
the Italian episode where uh, uh, um, Mr. Humphreys dresses up as crazy Italian what's-his-face, and then Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Harmon, they, they dress as Mad Ma and Paul Gumby. The, he was one of the two guys who tried to steal the safe. Looks just like him. And it makes sense. I totally didn't pick that up, and neither did our research Oh, I did it. I stumped him on the last episode. <laughs> I just knew you would bring it up. But there we go. I'll give myself a ding. Thank you, Gladys. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Henry Heathcliff is the same actor who played um, one of the two ruffian guys who was trying to steal the uh, Grace Brothers safe in the original series whatever episode that was oh my god you're exactly right right isn't that cool wow it would be great if 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 malcolm Heathcliff was the other thief but i don't think so no that wasn't the case well i'm glad that you caught it before our super fans ripped me apart again on this one right okay thank you thank you unanimous i'm sure they're all clapping for me at home (laughs) (laughs) sit down stop clapping it's embarrassing me <laughs> anyway, but so, yeah, so he's uh, the one who bought the sheep that they gotcha. were selling in the first part of the show. Again, hold on to that plot point; it'll come in handy a little bit later on. Um, local local rules, uh, house rules for the darts say the first team to drain their pints wins the toss mm-hmm. and can decide who gets to go for first in the uh, darts match. Yeah, um, most of the staff can't handle it because it tastes like paint stripper to them; it tastes like turpentine. <laughs> Um, but Slocum manages to guzzle it down after having had two large gin and tonics. So she's going to be we know, three sheets to the wind. We know that Mrs. Slocum can handle. Now, one of the one of the staff cannot handle their liquor. And we'll find out, out soon. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, be, so because Slocum has played darts before uh, several times, you know, and she wants to show off a little bit, she calls the game. Okay, double top for starters, 5-0-1 up. She calls the rules of the game, and she says she's going to hit 40 on her first, um, first throw. Okay. An old man in the corner, you know, shot out of nowhere, says, I've seen her play before. You were Morris's bird in Tiverton. No, no. She, she misses. I assume she's your Tiverton. So someone else knows her secret, right? It's all happening in Tiverton. <laughs> or it was, um, anyway. <laughs> right. You were known as a Tiverton bicycle, right? Oh, Molter no. doesn't say much because he's busy drinking his scrumpy with his local pals. And he sort of but, sleeps this whole episode, right? Right. Um, yeah. But we do see that Mrs. Slocum eventually hits her double top on her third and last dart. Cool. Yeah, the first two, she, so in darts, you get three darts. You get three tries. And the first two, she was distracted from this guy bringing yep. up her past, regurgitating, if you will. But the last time, because she does know how to play darts, perhaps because she's in the pubs so much, uh, she does it not too bad. When she finally points. doesn't get distracted from someone yeah. calling her a promiscuous slut, basically. Yeah. Um, Mr. Humphreys does not know how to play darts, and he throws a one, a one, and then a 60, which is the best score you can get. Now, he's the one who cannot handle his liquor, right? Because he no. had, I want to... Port and lemon, you know, like in a little tiny dimitas glass. No, here's some scrumpy, right? And he said, <laughs> he said that the dart is uh, the dartboard is the thing that's swirling around and around. And we get right. a great drunk John Inman doing Mr. Humphreys, um, 
one of his last scenes, right? Fabulous. So good. Yeah. Malcolm Mavis and Mr. Humphrey start to get in a shoving match inside the um inside the pub. And no. the landlord isn't having any of it. He doesn't want any trouble inside, so he tells them to take it outside. Um, but uh, before we can get there, Captain Peacock and Henry Heathcliff start getting into it. Okay. Uh, and we know, before we know it, the entire uh, pub is, you know, shoving and provoking each other. No one's really throwing any punches or uh, it's not being violent just yet. It's all bravado. Um, and Right. Mr. Yeah. Miss Lovelock comes to Captain Peacock's defense. Well, he was trained by the SAS in Japanese Obakabe, which is totally made up. It is not a real Japanese word. And <laughs> I don't think that the scriptwriters made it up for the sake of the show. I think they made it up for Captain Peacock just pulling, telling another tall tale. Yeah. Just making up something that sounds vaguely Japanese. Um, so finally, uh, Henry and Rumbold are the ones to go outside. And they put up their dukes. They put up their fisticuffs. But no one wants to take the first punch. And no one follows them outside. Now, usually when there's a bar fight, just in general you know, pop culture... The in two, your life, you always follow the fight outside, don't you, Mr. Jones? Right, with with my two tattoos and my piercing and, you know, everything. Yeah, the, <laughs> t- the two belligerents go outside, and then everyone goes out to watch. But here, they're still playing darts. They're not, they don't go outside to watch. It's not until Mrs. Slocum gets, hears what's happening, that she puts a beer bottle in her purse, goes outside, and starts hitting Henry with it <laughs> to fence him off, right? She, so, so, so I'm just kind of... I don't know if I should say it now or later, but I'll say it. So we're getting a lot. At the time, they didn't know this, but this was the last scene for them. Yep. Yeah. Right? Uh, maybe there's one. Well, we have a whole other scene where they do this caper thing. Right. But we see drunk Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Humphreys, which is I love. We see Mrs. Slocum belligerently attacking a man with her handbag. Fabulous. Drinking a lot of booze. We don't see her drunk, which is too bad. But, yeah, it's just kind of hitting me like, wow, this is the last time we see these these things. There's no more episodes after this. Right. So, yeah. Good for them. Before, um, just as they're getting into the fight, Mrs. Slocum learns that um, the sheep that Moulter sold to Henry are going to be resold to the butchers. Oh, no. Well, well what did she think was going to happen? They were going to the zoo? They were going to be <laughs> short for zoo. wool? Right. Yeah, um, that's what she thought. She thought it was going to be like a wool thing, but. Right. And, no. you know, the, the, the softies that Mrs. Slocum and Mrs. Brahms are, they don't want the sheep to be sold for meat. They want to get them back. Um, yeah. But, you know, they also don't want to steal. They don't want to commit theft. So they cook up this, um, um, they cook up this whole ruse where they're going to give Heathcliff back his money, but they're going to take the sheep back in the middle of the night and no one will be any of the wiser, Right. Um, this gives, um, Captain Peacock an excuse to be a leader, not Mr. Rumbold, so that Peacock can also show off for Miss Lovelock. And maybe this will be his final quest that will, you know, secure her as a love interest for him in his eyes. Right. They wake up at one o'clock in the morning and put in, um, and dress all in black to drive over to Heathcliff's farm. It's very in order, to, in order to steal the sheep, right? Yeah. And Captain Peacock has got this whole operation planned, very similar to how Mr. Rumble had planned the sheep loading procedure. Um, they make sackings to dampen the noise of the horse hooves. 
um, but the axle on the court is rather squeaky. So Mrs. Slocum suggests that Mr. Humphreys puts on some cold cream to act, <laughs> to act as lubricant to quiet the squeaky wheel, and he starts putting it all over his face. I mean, that's what I would have done. <laughs> you know. So, so speaking of cold cream... Um, if you ever go to, if anyone's ever been to business school or has studied communications, um, Noxzema is, uh, and, and just cold cream in general, um, is often talked about as a case study in advertising because it's, um, a very good example of advertising gone bad, right? Okay. Um, when, when cold cream was introduced into the U S market, it was a product that every member of the family had a use for, right? It could be used for sunburn. It could be used for a post-shaving bomb. It could be used for face cleansing. It could be used for acne. It could be used for moisturizing, right? Everybody in the household used it, but no one really talked about it, right? Uh, it okay. was, it's, I guess, almost like toilet paper, right? It's one of those things that you just everyone uses How but dare you don't really you? talk about, How right? How dare you bring up a topic like that? But when brands like Pons and Noxzema started advertising, they focused in on one benefit and one demographic. They started talking about um, what a good job it did for acne, and the target demographic there was teenage girls. Your average, in the 60s, your average working man who had learned to use Noxzema from his father or his grandfather when he cut himself shaving was not going to be caught dead using the, any same product that the entire world knows that his teenage daughter was using for her teenage pimples. And so it fell out of favor with many other demographics because this became something associated with teenage girls. Well, I certainly wouldn't be caught wearing cold cream because you know, that would <laughs> affect my masculine uh, reputation, Mr. Jeff. As I yours with, so. your, with your earring on the right side and your <laughs> tattoos and your, your motorcycle. <laughs> so it worked. They start to put their plan in action, and um, Captain Peacock and Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Rumbold are crawling across the farm like it is Bridge on the River Kwai, and they are crawling under barbed wire. It, it's <laughs> a quite the funny, um, quite the funny scene. Uh, Mrs. Slocum is uh, confronted with a cow patty and asks, asks permission to tiptoe around it. Right? <laughs> you know, um, you think about their ages. You know, Frank Thornton, like, he wasn't 50. He must have been 60 They were something. not spring chickens. Yeah. yeah, and they were, like, traveling around like it's uh, the Iron Man competition or something. Yeah, right? Pretty impressive. Mr. Humphrey's job is to bribe the dog with the tandoori chicken from the takeaway. And we think it's going to be an Alsatian or a Rottweiler, but it's a terrier. So that's It's a cute hysterical. little Karen terrier. It's like Toto from Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Such a cute um, little puppy. He puts the money in the letter slot, and then he hides in the doghouse until he gets the signal. He actually um, he he alerts the the owner that someone's there, and he does this cute thing. Oh, where that's right. He, he pops barking. into the doghouse and he pretends to be a dog and barks. And then apparently the guy's so stupid he's like, "Okay, I guess that's my dog," <laughs> and turns out the light. Yeah. Right. So cute. Uh, Mrs. Slocum's job is to open the barn door, and she does so, but she gets immediately trampled by the sheep, and they run free. So now the staff don't have the sheep and they've paid the return money. And so they're out double and they're all really defeated. They're all yeah. mad at Peacock for coming up with such a 
bad plan, and Miss Lovelock has not um, uh, has not uh, secured her heart for him. So everybody is very very defeated. And what's but, more, like on the way, but as they were making their hasty getaway, um, Mister Humphreys did this cute little thing where he was trying to escape and he was caught in the doghouse so he was running to the cart and he had to take the doghouse with him right uh, so he's wearing it like a helmet almost and then he has to run and you hear him say wait for me which is so <laughs> cute you know yeah. and then he hops on the cart oh and then of course um when he's trying to give the tandoori chicken to the dog to bribe him not to bark um, the, the dog isn't interested and he says, yeah, we didn't yeah, like, we didn't it, like either. it either. <laughs> <laughs> but then what happens? So they're, they're, they just arrive back to Millstone Manor. What happens then? And they see 50 sheep. The <gasps> sheep must have returned, have a good homing, dev- homing senses because they've all returned home and brought their friends because they only sold Heathcliff 20. So they're up to it. They, they made more money now. Right. Ooh. But, but, but now they've got more sheep than they know what to do with. And Malcolm Heathcliff, uh, the Heath, Mr. Heathcliff saw them escaping, so they know they're going to get caught eventually. Um, they turn, they turn to their fearless leader uh, and ask, you know, do you have a contingency plan, Captain Peacock? And we hear the last lines of the show, a large drink and a hot bath. Well, that's real leadership, that is. Oh, that is the last line, isn't it? And the credits roll, and that's it. Oh, so so I had a moment. I was preparing for the episode for the podcast. I watched it, and usually when the comes on, I I don't watch it. I turn it off because I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to say, and da da da. But this time, I thought, no, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it for this last time because it's the last episode of the original content of the podcast that we're going to do. And I thought, no, I'm going to the last time. I'm going to honor these folks. Who've all passed away except Joanne Haywood and I think she's and Fleur Bennett. Fleur Bennett. Fleur Bennett. Yes, I'm so sorry. Sorry, Fleur. Um, and by the way, a message to Fleur Bennett: if you do listen, we would love to have a conversation with you. But uh, anyway, um, and I thought, you know, this is kind of sad that uh, the last time all the names come up, and then I remembered uh, our super fan on Twitter, John Brian Hopkins on Twitter. Hello, um, he sent us a message. He sent us a tip, an oh, Easter egg. An Easter, yeah, an Easter egg. And um, I saw, like, the little dog, the little Karen Terrier, I think, or Yorkie or something, um, was credited as Shirley Brahms. And I thought, oh, that's right. We got a tip about it. So as Mr. Mr. Hopkins says in Twitter, he said that he read in Wendy Richards' book, um, which the name escapes me. She wrote an autobiography. And you should read it, and I'm not. I'm not. But he says that in that episode, that was her dog. That was Wendy <gasps> Richards' dog. Oh. And I guess the dog's name was Shirley Brahms, right? Because that's what they used in the credits. It's a better name for a dog than Pauline Fowler, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so uh, I guess the dog actually had the last credit. Right? I guess so, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, so, so that's Mr. the last Brandon, it, right? Mr. Brandon, next week we're going to talk about Series 3, Episode 1. Uh, oh, no, we're oh, not no, moving on. there's no. nothing else. But there, there is going to be another episode of the podcast, um, uh, Dear Unanimous. Uh, yep. And we're calling this one Behind the, Behind the Pink Curtain. Behind um, the pink curtain, yes. And uh, we're going to give you, we're going to do another reflection on uh, the past 
three years that we've spent with you oh uh, on the podcast. And we're also going to give you some tips about how to produce your own podcast. Um, Did we know what the hell interested. we were doing when we started this? Do we need to know what the hell we're doing right now? Absolutely not. Question. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we kind of mentioned like, oh, we're doing the last season of Grace and Favor. Are you being served again? A lot of people are like, what? You can't stop the podcast. And it's lovely to hear those messages. Thank you. Uh, and what we've what we've decided um, at the boardroom level, I'm looking up uh, <laughs> to say in response is, um, you know, if you want more episodes of our podcast, make your own podcast. So we've kind of figured it out along the way and we're going to let you know how to do it. So that's going to be part of the next episode. Right. And, so, um, yeah. yeah, so next week is going to be our last regularly scheduled podcast episode. Should there be an emergency in the Are You Being Served universe, we will certainly <laughs> return to the airwaves to address it. Uh, but you know, next week is the last time that you're going to regularly hear from us uh, over your digital airwaves. And also, so, we're also going to give ourselves some time to kind of talk about what it was like to do the podcast and what we thought about the show. How is it different this time? And if you wanted to give us one last voicemail, uh, this would literally be the last chance. So um, I posted on Facebook and our, we have an Instagram now. Did you know that? Instagram. We do. IG. We do indeed, Mr. Brandon. What do they, how can they find us on Instagram? I think if you just search for it, it'll come up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is, I guess, our last call for voicemails. So if you want to shout out your fabulous gal pal who works at the bank with you and you both quote Mr. Humphreys all day, this is the time to do it. If you want to say how much you dislike our show, we'll even play that for crying out loud. Uh, but last chance, so um, if they wanted to get in contact with us, uh, you can do that on Facebook, Twitter, does suit madam. Uh, you can send us an email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com. Hold on, let's do that again. That does suit madam with an e. Okay, that's all I'm getting from her today. Uh, at gmail.com. You can also call that Peacock hotline at 662 Peacock, which is 662 732 2625. And if you'd rather make a voice recording so you can get it just right, uh, you can do that on your iPhone or whatever you have, a voice recorder, and then email that to us. That works as well instead of a voicemail. All right? And you can also grab some merchandise at our bargain basement at imfree.threadless.com. And uh, with that, Mr. Jeff, as we say for the last time, maybe one more time. You've all done, all very, done well. very well. Bye, Unanimous. That does suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. To avoid eye injury, do not aim darts at eyes or face. Use of eyewear recommended for players and other people within range. Especially if you've been drinking scrumpy. Ha, 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 ha.